Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. This week we're continuing our series in Micah. We're looking at Micah chapter 6 and we're thinking about what God wants from us. We're thinking about true repentance and we're thinking about how God doesn't want uh, big grand gestures but wants our hearts and our changed lives. That's all in Micah chapter 6. You might like to have a read of the passage before listening to the sermon. Just to let you know, there is no new content on the YouTube channel uh, this week apart from the sermon. It's been half term this week, so I've had a week off doing the regular course. But all of the rest of the courses are available. All of the rest of the Firm Foundations course, which I'm working on at the moment, are on if you haven't had a look already and you would like to. And if you'd like to support Understand the Bible, there is a link down below. You can pray for Understand the Bible. Uh, You can donate, you can give. Um, So thanks so much everyone for your support and everything. I hope that you appreciate the sermon and I look forward to seeing you again soon. God bless. Well, you know, uh, perhaps you've had this experience where you are uh, listening to a sermon and then you think, well, what was the point of that? And that was all very interesting at the end of the sermon, but really, what, what should I do differently as a result of listening to that sermon? Now, I hope that when I preach, I like to, to try and be practical, and I'll try and explain you know, what it means. But very often times, uh, and obviously this never happens in this church, um, but you, know, you will sometimes hear that in other, in other places, you know. Um, And this is, I think, where Micah, this chapter, starts to get practical. He says, all right, I've told you about all of those things which we've been looking at over the last few weeks. This is where Micah starts to say, now this is what I want you to actually do. This is the the application, if you like, in a sermon. That's what we call it, the application, applying it to our lives. So what does God want? Having given this message to the people, what does God actually want from them? And that's what we're going to be looking at. That's what Micah chapter 6 is all about. Um, now, there's, as always, I've, um, and it struck me actually just as Sheila was reading this passage a moment ago, that there's so much you could say about this passage. So as we have been doing for the, the last few weeks, we're going to be reading for the big picture and I won't, I'll try not to get bogged down too much in the details. There's a lot you could say. Um, so it starts out, verses 1 and 2. He says, I listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Uh, let the hills hear what you have to say. And then hear you mountains, the, Lord, uh, the Lord's accusation. Listen, uh, you everlasting foundations of the earth. So it's sort of a courtroom um, setting saying that this is the case for the prosecution against the people of Israel. Now, why does he talk about the mountains and the hills? What's the the point of all of that? Is he just going to stand on the mountains? And I think what's going on here is a reference back to the covenant that uh, God made through Moses with the people. So let me just read you Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 19 and 20, where uh, it says, Moses says to the people, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, 
and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers. So this is Moses saying, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. This is, and he's just spoken to them about the blessings of the covenant, the blessings of uh, listening to and obeying God, and the curses for disobeying God. That's what happens in, uh, just before that in Deuteronomy. So he's saying, I call the earth as witnesses. And here in Micah chapter six, we have again the earth, or at least the mountains and the hills, being called as a witness against the people. It's saying, you know, you heard the covenant that you made when you said, yes, we will obey God. You know what you should have done, but you didn't do it. That's what's going on here. It's saying that you have disobeyed God and these mountains and hills, they heard you promise. They haven't forgotten. And that's why he's, he's doing it there. Um, so then the Lord, he starts in a place which you might not, um, you might not expect. Verse three, he says, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. It's very, it's very tender, isn't it? That tender sort of relationship that God starts with. He doesn't start saying, you've committed idolatry, you've done X, Y, and Z sins. He's saying, how have I burdened you? How have I, what have I done to you? And it, it um, sort of like saying, you know, have I treated you ungenerously? Have I been unloving towards you? Have I been unkind uh, to you? It's almost like thinking back to the, the sin of the Garden of Eden, isn't it? You know, you think about um, Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve turn against God. And the reason that they are turned against God is because uh, the, the serpent convinces them that God doesn't want their good. He says, you know, did God really say, because he knows if you eat from the, the fruit, you will become like him, knowing good and evil implying that God just wants to hold them back, that God doesn't want their good. And it's the, the same sin, isn't it, that's being told here, that the people have decided to have turned away from God because they think he doesn't want their good. Uh, and so that is when God goes on, verses 4 and 5, to say, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam, um, and then remember what um, Balak did, what Balaam did, uh, your journey, and so on. And, and these are times when uh, you can look at this in the book of Numbers, where God protected the people from their enemies. And uh, God is saying, remember how I've been faithful to you through this all of the years. You know, I brought you up out of slavery, I protected you, I led you into the promised land and all of this I've done for you and yet you've turned away from me and that's what God is saying so what is God wanting them to do and that's what this next section is about verses 6 to 8 so the, the people say verses 6 and 7 with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God shall I come before him with burnt offerings or verse 7, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? It, it gets increasingly more sort of extreme, doesn't it? You know, it starts out with uh, burnt offerings and with calves, which is what they were commanded to offer to the Lord. But then it says, 
Um, well, the Lord will be pleased with thousands of rams, you know, even if I did that a thousand times, or even offering my firstborn, offering the fruit of my own, um, my own body. Will God be pleased with that? You know, just more and more sort of extreme. Um, and it, you still see people who, who think that to atone, you know, we just need to do very extreme things, don't they? Um, not so much perhaps these days, but uh, you know, I'm sure we can all think of examples of where people think there needs to be a, an extreme kind of religious act of devotion. You know, we need to do a pilgrimage or we need to climb a mountain or, or go without food for days and days or something like that uh, to atone. But actually, God says, no, I don't want those grand gestures, those grand religious gestures. He says in verse 8, this is what I want from you. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That is what God requires. Not these grand sacrifices or, or, or grand sort of religious gestures, which may look big and impressive, but at the end of the day, don't really show a changed heart. And that is what God wants from us. And maybe think actually of, uh, of David, what he says in Psalm 51 after his psalm of, of repentance, after he had um, got um, Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed and then committed adultery with her, um, he writes this psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, and he says there in verses uh, 16 and 17, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. That's what God wants from us. Not big, grand religious gestures, but simply a, a contrite heart inside. And that's what the people didn't understand. And sadly, it's still the same today, isn't it? That um, you may have seen in, in the news, um, the uh, independent, um, what's it, child sexual abuse report was published uh, last week, I believe, including things happening in the Church of England. But you see this in, in the Church of England, the way that every time there is another report into abuse which has been allowed to happen, um, including, for example, parish priests abusing young men, young women, and then just it being hushed up and maybe then being allowed to move on to another, to another parish quietly. This happens. And every time there is a, a long, you know, the archbishops and so on, the, the authorities, the powers that be, will, will say, oh, we're so sorry. You know, they'll write a letter, they'll say, oh, we're, we're terribly sorry for all of this. It won't happen again. And then it happens again. And this is what Micah is saying. I don't want long letters saying how sorry you are. I want you to change. I want action. I want to change life, not grand gestures. We need real repentance. And that's what this is about. We mentioned that word before. It is about true repentance rather than about just empty gestures, however grand they may be. So then this, the final section there, verses 9 to 16, God says to the people, he says, listen, verse 9, listen, the Lord is calling to the city 
and to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod and the one who appointed it. So he says, listen to what God is saying to you. You need to listen to me because as he says, to fear your name is wisdom. To listen to the Lord is wisdom and to see God in the, the events happening uh, is wisdom. He says, heed the rod and the one who appointed it. Look at your circumstances, Micah says to the people. The judgment that's come upon you because you turned away from me. Because he says all of this has happened just as God promised. Because you turned away and you abandoned me. It's just what we've been looking at all the way through, isn't it? As we've been thinking about exile and the Assyrians, the Babylonians. All of that, as God said through the prophets, happened to the people because they abandoned God. And so God says, learn from it. Don't just look at these things happening and say, oh, isn't that terrible? Isn't that a, a bad thing? Aren't we sad? But say, no, I'm going to listen and I'm going to turn back to the Lord as a result of it. That's what those things happened uh, for. And, and God says then, verses uh, 10, uh, 10 to, to 12, Am I still to forget? And God says, look, all of these things, I can't just forget them. I can't just forget the sin that you've been doing. And he, he lists a catalogue of it, verses, uh, verses 10 to 12 there. Um, your ill-gotten treasures, the uh, dishonest scales and false weights, your rich people are violent, your inhabitants are liars, and, and so on. So all of the, the many ways in which they've been committing uh, sin against God and against one another, um, violence and dishonesty and, and so on and fraud, various lots of different ways that, that, that it had been happening. And God says, I can't just forgive you and ignore all of the things that you're still doing. It doesn't matter how grand the gesture is, if all of those things are still happening, then it, it can't be done. It can't be done. You need to actually change. And he says in verse 13, uh, Therefore I begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. Begun to destroy you, and that's what sin does. It leads to destruction in the end. And um, the way that it works, verses uh, 14 and 15, is this kind of chasing after futility. It says, you will eat but not be satisfied. You will store up but save nothing. You will plant but not harvest. And so they are chasing after things but not getting the fruit or, or the benefit from them. They are just chasing after futility and emptiness. You know, they have desires for things, but it will not be satisfied. That's what sin is in its essence. It is trying to obtain goodness and satisfaction from the things of this life without God. And by turning away from God, that's exactly what we do. And it is very like what it says in Romans chapter 1. Uh, just to read one verse here, Romans chapter 1 verse 28. Uh, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. Gave them over is repeated three times in Romans chapter 1. And that's what sin is. Now, C.S. Lewis once said, 
Uh, there are two kinds of people in the world, uh, people who say to God, thy will be done, and people uh, whom God says to them, okay, then have it your way. And I think there's a huge amount of truth in that, that sin is just God giving us up to say, well, if you want all of those things, then you run after them and see what happens. And it just made me think, this is what's happening in our society. This is exactly what is happening. You know, we are living in a society that is obsessed with um, sexual ratification, and yet people are less satisfied than ever. And it's, it's, it's what sin does. You know, when we want the good things, but without God and without God's ways, it's, uh, we never find satisfaction, we never find fulfilment and happiness. Um, and so, uh, verse 16, Therefore I will give you over to ruin and derision. You will bear the scorn of the nations. That's the effect of abandoning God. Now, I think the, the application here writes itself, really, doesn't it? I mean, can you think of a country which is abandoning God and going to ruin? It seems to be happening all over, the, certainly all over the Western world. You know, you think of our own country, which for so many years has had, you know, bishops in Parliament, we've had prayers in Parliament, we've had a, a monarch who professes the Christian faith, and yet, as a nation, we've turned away from God, we've abandoned him, and look at what's happening. The absolute chaos, I think, of the last, especially the last few weeks, I think has come upon us because we have abandoned God. And the question is, are people listening? Um, but we'll come on to that in just a second. So I want to give briefly three things to, um, uh, that we can conclude from this, to take from this. The first thing is to remember. Uh, we saw remembering just at the start of chapter 6. Remembering is so important in the Bible because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget all of the many things that God has done for us and become ungrateful and hard-hearted. And we need to remember, and that's what communion is about isn't it as Jesus says do this in remembrance of me because what more has God done for us than giving us his only son Jesus Christ who died to redeem us and that's partly why we meet uh, week by week around the, the bread and wine as we remember so that's the first important thing remember what has God done for us the second thing is we need to repent and repentance means to amend our lives not just to simply make empty but you know grand but empty religious gestures no god doesn't want us to make big religious gestures he just wants our hearts he wants us to love him to love others to serve him to serve others to live a life as he says of, of justice and mercy walking humbly with him that's what god wants from us not big gestures but just simply walking with him and loving him, loving others day by day. As Jesus says, John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. That's what Jesus says. Obedience is the way that we express our love for God. There isn't a substitute for living rightly. Now, I just want to be clear here that I'm not preaching and saying that uh, our salvation is by the good things that we do. Because I don't want you to hear that. I don't want you to listen and, and think, oh, Phil's saying I need to do good things in order to be approved by God or to be accepted by him. Obviously not. But actually, uh, it's the fruit of it, isn't it? If we know forgiveness, if we know that God loves us and forgives us, then we'll want to please him 
and will want to, to make our lives conform as much as possible to how he wants us to live. So our obedience comes from our love for him and we know that when most of all in salvation, don't we? So it's, the salvation comes first and then our obedience and our love grows as we walk with God. Um, there's a lot more you could say about that, but we'll, 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 time uh, pushes us on. Third and final thing, we need to heed the warnings. As it said about, uh, about this, heed the rod and the one who appointed it. Uh, now for, for Christians, hardship and suffering are, are not punishment, but they are discipline. And this is what it says in, in Hebrews 12 verse 7, to endure hardship as discipline. And that just means kind of training, you know, as we see, uh, uh, see how God is faithful even through those times, then we can endure that hardship in, in the right ways. But for the world, for society, for a non-Christian secular world, then hardship is it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call and that's what it should be. And I think what we should be doing is actually praying that people would wake up and see all of the turmoil that we are in as a society, it is really because we have abandoned God. And we need to be praying that people would first and foremost, rather than looking for political solutions, rather than looking for a new politician who will sort things out, actually seek the Lord and trust that he would be the one who can actually uh, bring, bring things to, to order uh, once again, bring order out of all of this chaos. So are we listening? That's what we need to be praying for and asking that God would help people to see. So let's finish now with a prayer and ask that God would help us with all of these things. I know that there's a lot in there, um, but let's pray and ask God for his help. And so Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to learn from this passage. We pray that you would help us to remember all of the wonderful things that you've done for us and to, to be inspired by your goodness day by day. We pray that you would help us to um, amend our lives, to truly repent uh, and come to you day by day, seeking to obey you. And we pray that you would uh, help us to, um, to, to really want people to wake up and, and uh, see, Lord, that it is you alone who can save us. And it is you alone who can bring order from this chaotic world which, uh, which we inhabit. We pray that many people would turn to you across our, our country, across our town, and across our land, uh, across our world, Lord, we ask that many people would wake up and come to you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.